want to mention a couple of things before we uh, get into our passage for today. Um, first of all, I want to mention that um, <clears throat> you know all that we've been singing and thinking about this morning uh, fits right in with our theme for this year, and that is connecting upward with God. But we also said, as we set off into this year, that we wanted to connect outward with the mission. In fact, we have an initiative this year that we're calling Fellowship Outward 22. And if you'll remember, um, our heart is literally that every single person in our church would go on a, quote, mission trip this year. And I know there's been a lot of questions around like, what does that mean? And do I have to go overseas or like all that? So we're clarifying more and more what that means. But you have in your hands now some explanation, these blue half sheets. I want everybody to grab one as you're leaving together uh, today. But we've got an explanation of what this initiative is all about and uh, hopefully giving you some possibilities so that you can begin praying about where would God have you go as a part of Fellowship Outward. Uh, I want to point your attention to one thing in particular, and that is how we define a mission trip. So it's right in the middle of the page, and it says, when we say mission trip, we're referring to an intentional outreach initiative designed to show and tell the love of Christ to a particular group of people locally, nationally, or internationally. So that's pretty broad and wide. It's just you saying, I'm going to set aside a, a season of time. I think we have a minimum of three days, and it's just going to be an intensive focus to bring the gospel to a group of people, whether it's across the street or around the world. Now, if you'll look on the back, you'll see the nuts and bolts of a solid trip. So you're going to get an opportunity to either join a trip or create a trip. We're going to have some trips that are available, that are already planned, they're already put together. You literally, all you got to do is say, I'm in, and you can be a part of that trip. There's going to be some of you who are going to say, I would love to pull together a group of people, find a target audience, and then go for it. And we as a church want to give you uh, counsel, direction, resources. We want to help you put that trip together. So lots of great opportunities. But you can look there and see a number of uh, criteria that will help you put that trip together. And all the trips that are currently planned, they're already kind of fulfilling these criteria. So that way we're all on the same page. Now, if you're not doing something exactly like this, that's okay. We're not saying that anything other than this isn't ministry. It's all ministry. But for this initiative, for Fellowship Outward 22, this is what we're going for. And we would love for you to pray about that. Now, next Sunday, we're going to have a web page set up so that you can get certainly all of this information, but you can begin to see those trips that, that already exist maybe some brainstorming ideas about other possibilities you could go for, ways to register, links to ministries, like there's gonna be a lot of stuff there. So we'll have that up and running next Sunday and you can begin signing up for your trip. So really all we want you to do this week is we want you to begin praying about who would you love to go on a mission trip with? Because this is a community thing. We get to do this together. So begin thinking about maybe it's your community group. Maybe it's a ministry team that you're already a part of. But begin praying about who are you going to go on this mission trip with? And then begin asking God to show you where he would like you to go. 
And uh, I cannot wait to see where God takes us as a church. Then, with outward in mind, like our heart is to extend our influence into this city and beyond. And I said in September, as part of our Vision Sunday message, that we were going to expand our staff team. And I mentioned in particular a role that would be operations oriented. So we have found our man and we are so excited to announce that to you. His name is Rob Bloss. This is a picture of Rob and Darcy. And uh, they have agreed to come here. They live in Pennsylvania currently. So they're house hunting. Pray for them. They sold their house in a day. Uh, But now in our market here, it's a little bit kooky trying to find a place, right? So pray for them. They've been house hunting all weekend and then they're back in Pennsylvania. Uh, They're on their way probably flying right now as we speak. But uh, Rob is going to be our ministry operations pastor. And here's what that means. That means that he is really helping us strategically think about how to connect the resources that we have as a church to the opportunities for ministry that we have as a church. And he is gifted for that. He's experienced for that. Jeff and I and our staff are so excited to have him join our team and just a fresh new voice into uh, all that we're thinking about. And prayerfully, we want to extend our influence. So uh, we're excited. Uh, We'll introduce them personally, uh, probably sometime in late February or early March when they get moved here. But be praying for them. We are thrilled to death to have them join our team. All right? Well, let's get into the word. Uh, Pull out your outline if you would. And uh, I thought about this. uh, The last time I preached, I... I started with a song, and I guess, I guess I'm kind of on a song theme, so I'm going to do it again. Um, I don't know how many, you've heard of Stephen Curtis Chapman for sure. I'm going way back to 1989, one of his classics, More to This Life. And I want to read you some of these lyrics, because I think this gets us in a great frame of mind to receive what it is that the writer of Hebrews has to say. So this is just part of the song, but... Uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman writes this. Tonight he lies in silence, staring into space. He's describing a guy, and maybe this describes some of us, and looks for ways to make tomorrow better than today. But in the morning light, it looks the same. Life just goes on. He takes care of his family. He takes care of his work. And every Sunday morning... He takes his place at the church. And somehow he still feels a need to search. Life just goes on. But there's more to this life than living and dying. More than just trying to make it through the day. More to this life, more than these eyes alone can see. And there's more than this life alone can be. I think there's something about the heart of the writer of Hebrews, particularly as we get into this passage. I think he's saying to us, there's more to this life than what you may be, what I may be giving my attention to. There's so many things that capture our attention, but there's more, way more that God has for us. And uh, this is how this section starts. He says about this, We have much to say, verse 11 in chapter 5. 
and Jeff kind of hit the tip of the iceberg. That was all time would allow a couple of weeks ago. But he's saying there's more to this that I'd like to tell you about. And, and so the first thing we ought to wonder is, well, what is this? So let's go back and look at what we covered verses 5 through 10. Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son today, I have begotten you. And he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So that is the this that the writer of Hebrews is referring to. And Jeff did a great job explaining, generally speaking, what that represented. But what the writer is saying is, listen, I could go on for days talking about all that is embedded in that text. Here's some questions that that Jeff didn't answer, we didn't answer, the writer of Hebrews doesn't even answer, but they're there. What does it mean for Christ to have been begotten? Have you ever thought about that? What does it mean for Jesus to be a priest forever? See, we don't have any understanding of time outside of time. I mean, we talk about eternity, but what is that? What, does, what is the order of Melchizedek? How is his priesthood different from the Levitical priesthood mandated by God beginning with Aaron? Again, Jeff touched on that a little bit, but gosh, it's just weird when you're reading along and this guy pops into the story out of nowhere with a name that's kind of interesting and then he just disappears, but he gets referred to again and somehow his priesthood seems superior to that of what God set up all through the Old Testament. What's up with that? How is Jesus similar to the Levitical priesthood of Israel, and how is he different? What do you know about the priesthood? What does it mean that Jesus learned obedience? I thought he was God. Does God have to learn stuff? In what ways did suffering teach Jesus obedience? What's the connection with suffering and obedience. And what does it mean that Jesus was made perfect? Wasn't he perfect already? Those are challenging questions, aren't they? And the writer of Hebrews doesn't address those specifically in that passage. But he's saying to us, there's more that I'd like to tell you here. But I just can't. And not for the reason that you might think. You see, it's not particularly difficult... His reason is you have become dull of hearing. How about that? You know, it's not that it's that hard to really understand. It's just that you may not really want to understand it. He says, since you have become, so you could say because you have become dull of hearing, that's why it's hard to explain. Dull of hearing, the best word, I, I've racked my brain just trying to think, what's a good word to help us really get what dull of hearing is? It certainly doesn't mean I, I literally can't hear. 
I think it means indifference. It means you might even grasp what the words mean, just intellectually speaking, but they have no impact. It's a lack of interest or enthusiasm or concern. It's unreceptive. It's sluggish. It's apathetic or even lazy. That's what he's talking about here. That's that's where you are, and because of that, you really can't receive what I could tell you about all of this beyond what I've already said. So if I were to paraphrase that first verse, I would say there is so much more I could tell you, but you have tuned out the truth. Now, if I were one of the original recipients of this letter, I might respond somewhat defensively, how do you know that I'm dull of hearing? And I think the, re- the writer of Hebrews would say, I'm so glad that you asked. Read on. Verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have, have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So if we kind of summarize that, he would say, I know you are dull of hearing because you are spiritually stunted. I can see it. I can hear it, I can feel it, I can observe it in you. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be spiritually stunted? I think he would say to them, you are neophytes when you ought to be teachers. Now, that word neophyte, that just simply means novice or beginner. Um, It's an agricultural image of being newly planted, so we kind of get what that means. That's, That's not a bad thing. In 1 Timothy 3.6, Paul refers to uh, those who are neophytes, the Greek word there, as a recent convert. And in that context, he's giving the uh, criteria for an elder and saying that an elder should not be a neophyte, a recent convert. So it's not a negative, it's not a derogatory thing, unless you ought to be a teacher. You're a newbie. And you ought to be a teacher. You know what you need to be giving away, but you're just not able or willing to do so. In fact, you've got to learn the basics all over again. And you've been taught them. You actually at one point believed them. When it comes to taking in God's word, you're more like a nursing infant than a mature adult. That's the picture. You fumble around with scripture when you ought to be handling it accurately. And I tell you what, folks, we we have so much familiarity with the words on the page that we just flip it around and we just say kind of whatever comes to mind. And that's a very dangerous thing to do, first of all, but it just demonstrates our lack of maturity. The most important thing about God's word is what the writer intended. Not what you and I think about it. Not how we feel about it. Not what we think it might mean. 
when we're just kind of like, oh, I, I remember this verse. Maybe that applies. No. The writer had an intended meaning for that text. That's what matters. And you can't ever get to an interpretation without first understanding that. <coughs> so you fumble around with Scripture when you ought to be handling it accurately. And you lack the learned ability to discern or distinguish truth from falsehood. Now, there is nothing wrong with resembling a spiritual infant right after conversion. Even if you come to Christ at 60, you're a spiritual infant, right? You need to be taught. You need to understand what God has to say. So there's nothing wrong with being a spiritual infant right after conversion. There is something wrong with being an infant years and years and years after that moment of conversion takes place. Everyone has to be taught the basics, but everyone needs to move on from the basics as they grow in Christ. So here's the problem. These believers had already been thoroughly instructed in what he says are the basic principles of the oracles of God, but their lives resembled someone who had never been taught that material. And so he's just saying, there's so much more I want to tell you, but we haven't even got past the basics in terms of applying it to your life and living it out. The only explanation for that here is indifference. And that's something that all of us are susceptible to, myself included. Like we can all become complacent, apathetic, lazy, like all those things. That can be true of us. And every one of us has to decide every day between milk and maturity. Do you want milk? And I'm going to tell you what that means. Or do you want maturity? And if you decide today that you want maturity, guess what you're going to have to do tomorrow morning? You're going to have to decide again. And then you're going to have to decide again and again and again and again until the last breath of your life. But if you will, what I can promise you is over the course of your life, you're going to be mature. Your, your life is going to bear fruit that you cannot even imagine but it will only be because you chose again and again maturity over milk. Now, what do I mean or what did the writer mean by milk? First of all, it's for baby Christians, okay? We don't ever get away from it. We don't eliminate it from our diet, but we get more than milk as we grow in our relationship with Christ. So it's great to begin with, but if it's not supplemented with solids, then it will stunt your growth. If you just, if all you ever drank was milk and took nothing else, you'd be in trouble, right? Your body needs more than that. And the contrast between needing milk and needing solid food in this passage, obviously that's a figurative Reference, and it's basically saying that these believers weren't able to digest more than milk. Now, I want you to think about what is milk. It is pre-digested food. I'm not trying to get too graphic here, but think about it. An animal has eaten, right, and produces milk. It's digested. 
So like for a baby, a baby takes in milk, their digestion system isn't able to handle solid foods. It has to be acclimated, but over time they can, right? Every new mom I've ever talked to, it's just like, it's time to add solid foods. You just know when that happens. Their spiritual guts, the people that the writer was writing to, was so undeveloped that they were unable to to stomach anything more than milk, pre-digested liquid. So milk is great for acclimation, but it isn't sufficient for ongoing development. Over time, like a growing child, a healthy Christian is able and hungry to explore all that God's word has to say, not just the basics over and over and over and over again. Now, I want you to think about all the things that scripture addresses. We're not going to obviously cover all of it. I'm just going to mention some things beyond the basics that we all need and we would love to be able to address skillfully. Marriage, parenting, work, prayer and worship, identity, creation, end times or the return of Christ, partiality, money, the nature of God, government, the church, justice, unseen things, the spiritual realm of darkness. Bible covers every bit of that and more. And that's beyond the basics. I'm going to tell you, he's going to tell us what the basics are. But that's beyond the basics. And those are all things that all of us could apply to everyday life. But if you don't get the basics, then you're not going to get that. That's the next stuff. And there's a basic assertion of scripture. And that is that you and I don't know instinctively how to live. And honestly, anybody who says that they do, that's what the Bible describes. And I'm not trying to be mean here. It applies to me too. But a person who believes that they just instinctively know what to do and how to live, the Bible says they're a fool. Read the Proverbs. It's just real plain. So we don't know naturally what to do. We come to the scriptures and we say, God, tell me what to do. Show me what to do. Help me understand how to navigate life. That's what the wise person does. We come humbly and teachable to God's word and we grow over time. One other thing to think about If we are a spiritual infant, not handling the word accurately, there's there's spiritual atrophy there. Here's the deal. That doesn't just affect us. It affects every single person that intersects with our life. Start at home. If you are a spiritual infant, then that has an effect on everybody under your roof. 
and everybody across the street and everybody that you work with and all of your friends and anybody that the Lord might bring across your path that doesn't know him, if you are spiritually stunted, you will not be able to give them what they need and what God would intend for you to give them. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a spiritual giant. You do need to be growing. So let's just say, I decide today I want to grow up. Now what do I do? The writer in verse 14 says, get to the gym. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So the writer uses an athletic metaphor to describe the mature. He says the mature have been trained by constant practice. That word trained is from the Greek word gymnazo, one of my favorite words in all of the world, where we get the word gymnasium or gymnastics. Love that. So he's saying that the, the people who become mature, they've been training. Like muscles don't just appear out of nowhere. Muscles are developed, they're cultivated, and it's hard. Here's a routine of the mature. When you think about just how do you handle this book? What do you do with it? How do you train with God's word? Here's a five-word routine for you. First of all, you got to recognize what it's saying. The Holy Spirit will help you do that. Other mature Christians will help you do that. But you got to start with, you got to recognize. Then you have to receive. So some people hear the word. They might even understand what it means and then say, eh, no thanks. I'm good. But you got to receive it. Recognize, receive, then respond. That means to apply it to actually get with it, to, to orient your life around what you are learning. And then reinforce it means that you're developing habits, patterns. You're getting back to it again and again and again and putting it into everyday life over and over. And then finally, and so important, you have to relay it to somebody else. We were never meant to be a, a cul-de-sac for God's word. It's, it's supposed to come to us, we apply it, we experience the truth of it, we reinforce that, and then we give it away. That is what a mature Christian does as a way of life. And that's hard. <laughs> that requires great intentionality, dedication, perseverance. Because it's hard. In fact, I think we need to dispel the myth that the Christian life is the easy life. Is there anybody in here that says the Christian life is the easy life? No. It's hard. In some ways, it's harder than not. Now, I get there's great benefit, right, to walking with Christ, practically speaking. But, but think about you're in opposition to the world, your flesh, and the devil. You're in a war, and that's hard. So it takes great dedication, but the payoff 
is beyond imagination. Hebrews 12, 1 says, For the moment, all discipline, all that is hard, all of that training, all of that dedication, it seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. What a gift. So maturity is for those who are willing to strenuously engage and apply God's word as their highest priority. See, when you get that priority right and in place, then you know how to live. And if you don't know how to live, you go back to the book and you get instruction, encouragement, correction, training in righteousness. Now, all of this is done by grace, through faith. This isn't, I'm not talking about a tough guy Christianity. I'm talking about a dependent, desperate Christianity. Somebody that is relying on God to help them. In chapter 6, the writer spells out what that training looks like in a little more detail. And I would summarize it this way. you got to go on to grow. you got to go on beyond milk to get to maturity. Look at verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So he's listing, this is where we get to what the basics were and are from this context. Two key phrases that you might want to underline. First of all, let us leave, and then let us go on. Leave and go on. Leave the milk. Go on to maturity. Leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. Go on to have your, pow- your uh, powers of discernment trained. Be mature. And then there's this qualifier in there that's so helpful. Not laying again a foundation. So... When he says, leave the elementary doctrine of Christ, it could sound like, so you hear the gospel, you believe it, and then you just leave it behind and move on to something else. No, 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 no. You take that foundation, that training, that understanding with you and add to it. So you never leave it in the sense of you never think about it again. It always applies but you add to it. You build upon it. Here's the best way I know how to illustrate it today. I have been building a shed in my yard. <laughs> my wife is laughing. <laughs> it's funny. There's, there's some guys that are putting an addition on our house, and I, I think I provide them great entertainment because they're building like an addition, and there's the little guy over there with his little shed. <laughs> Like, look at the cute little guy over there building this shed. It's hard, okay? Um, It's been so instructive for me because, like, I had to start with a design. And then I got to get the materials. Got to have the right tools. There's a process. One of those seasoned framers said I was talking about my shed. He's like, yep, it's a process. It is. 
It takes a long time, and there's steps, and there's setbacks, but there's great precision and detail. you got to be careful and thoughtful, and you got to move along at whatever pace you can. It's hard work. But now here's the question that I want to ask you. That's my foundation right there. Now, what if you came over to my house in 10 years and I said, hey, you want to see my shed? <laughs> and you said, I'd love to. So we walk outside and I go, there it is. What do you think? In fact, if that weren't enough, I have rebuilt that foundation three times. <laughs> huh? <laughs> right? You would go, what is wrong with you, man? What are you doing? See, a foundation isn't a shed. It's just a foundation. But you can't have a shed without a foundation. So it's a great start, but that's all it is. It's a start. And you are called to move on, to build upon that. All that God intends in your life of following Christ. Now, here's the foundation. He says what it is. I've got six words here that summarize that, those couple of verses. First of all, he talks about repentance. That's a foundation. You got to turn from your old way of life to God and all that he offers by grace through faith. That's the second one, faith. Toward and in God. That's a, that's a foundational piece. We live by faith. You got to have it. You don't ever get away from it, but you build upon it. Cleansing there. So if you read through your Old Testament, you will see a lot of references to ceremonial washing and all of that. It's, it's just a picture of being cleansed. You might remember a few weeks ago when we did communion that the Lord said in Isaiah, he said, your sins will be as white as snow. How does that happen? Well, they're cleansed by the blood of Christ. That's a foundational thing that you need to understand, but it's just a foundation. The laying on of hands, I, I've got the word sanctification with that. Sanctification is a fairly broad term. It can mean a lot of things. It can certainly mean growth and development. It can also mean identification or being set apart. So the laying on of hands was a way of identifying with and setting apart someone for whatever God has for them. So again... There is a foundational application to that, but then that's ongoing, and it develops over time. Resurrection of the dead. That's pretty important, because all of us are going to die. And what's going to happen afterward? Well, this idea of resurrection is really important. It's a foundational understanding of Christianity that you are not going to be dead in your sin, but you'll be raised with Christ to look like him, to be like him. And then finally, judgment. That's a foundational thing that all of us need to understand. Uh, uh, I'm trying to remember the reference, but it talks about there will be death and then judgment comes next. Like, that's the deal. That's a foundational thing that we need to understand. But we, we don't spend all of our time on that. 
And we don't stop there. We go beyond to talk about all that follows judgment. So leaving these things behind can't mean forgetting or rejecting them. If you forget or reject them, then you're going to be like these readers who need to be taught the basics again. He's saying that, that, need, that doesn't need to be you. You need to move beyond that and build upon it. They're foundational, but they're not all of life. They undergird all that we need to understand about walking in newness of life. Let me mention a couple of passages to you. Ephesians 4.15. Paul writes there, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. That is a command. That is what God expects. That, and it's, it's not like he's punishing you if you don't grow up. It's your loss. It's like he's saying, I have all of this. Like the writer was saying, there's more to this life. There's so much more that I want to give you and teach you and offer to you. But I can't because you're dull of hearing. You're spiritually stunted. You're not willing to receive beyond the foundation. In fact, we got to go back and do the foundation again. That's the point of this passage. But Paul is saying, we got to grow up. In every way. He writes again in Philippians 3, 12 through 16. And this is, he's talking about himself. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. I mean, Paul was pretty stout, wouldn't you say? Pretty mature, right? He says, I'm not already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, forgetting in the sense of it's a foundation, it's laid, it's there, I'm building upon it, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think in this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let's grow up. Let's get beyond the milk. And let's get to a place of maturity. And then just keep growing for the rest of our days. Now, there's this interesting little verse, verse 3 in chapter 6, that is, uh, it's just kind of strange. Like, I'm, I feel like after all of this, I'm like, okay, okay, I'm ready to go, I'm ready to go. And then in verse 3, he says, and this we will do if God permits. And you're like, what? You mean God might not permit it? <laughs> so great opportunity to learn just basic Bible study methods. All right, when we read a phrase... And we go, huh, I don't know if that means what I think it means. So we always take scripture and we clarify it with scripture. So, so, okay, so we will do this if God permits. Do you think, based on all of the rest of scripture, 
that God would ever say to a person who is hungry and willing and ready to grow, sorry, nope, not going to let you. Right? Ephesians 2 says we are his workmanship. That means he's at work in us. He is always ready to help us grow when we're ready to grow. He's never the one that's holding us back. It's always us. So I think all this means is the writer of Hebrews is saying, you guys are dull of hearing. You need to grow. You need to build upon your foundation. Gosh, I just wish you would be ready to go. And we're going to move on. We're going to move on to maturity if God permits. It's just an acknowledgement that none but nobody in this room knows what, what's going to happen tomorrow. We may all be ended. That might happen. And if so, we're not going to be able to grow in this context anymore. We're going to have to grow in another context, right? Afterlife. But as long as we're breathing, that's what Paul or the writer of Hebrews is saying. As long as we're breathing, we're going to keep growing. We're going to keep going after maturity. And we're going to keep calling you to go after maturity. That's what we're going to do. If God permits. He's got all of history in his hands. He's going to do what he's going to do. But as for us, we're going to keep growing. All right? So let me give you an opportunity, a beautiful opportunity to grow. Just take a moment and just say, God, it's really clear. (laughs) You want me to mature in my relationship with Christ. So what's the next step? How can I go beyond milk to maturity? What sort of habits do I need to develop? Like just think of one thing, just one thing that you could add to your life or change about the way you're living to put yourself in a position to receive whatever it is God has for you today and then go on toward greater maturity. Take just a moment, prayerfully consider that. And then we'll pray and conclude, all right?